you, you have a problem. It's a drug problem. Now, your first reaction would be, no, Tony, I, I don't do drugs. How do I have a drug problem? Well, it's very likely, very, very likely that you know someone who is an addict to some form of drug. And the probability also goes up that you know someone who has accidentally overdosed on drugs. Why do I say that? Because the number of drug-involved overdose deaths has skyrocketed. There's going to be an image on the screen if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook. There's an image on the screen, and it shows that back in 1999, so 23, 24 years ago, there were less than 20,000 drug-involved overdose deaths, less than 20,000. But yet still, that's 54 a day. Now, that alone should be alarming. 54 drug-involved overdose deaths a day in 1999. Now, fast forward to 2021. 22 years later, that number of drug-involved overdose deaths is at 106,700. That is 290 deaths a day. Think about that. In 22 years, it's gone from 54 drug-involved overdose deaths a day to 290. Now, that, that's really alarming. The numbers are staggering. But the challenge is, is we tend to see those just as numbers. And we forget that every number represents Someone who loved and who is loved. Every number could represent a mother, a father, a child, a sibling, grandparent, grandchild, spouse, aunt, uncle, cousin, friend. Every single number is a person. But not only that, as far as their identity and how they relate to other people... Those individuals who die of overdose, each one of them represents someone who ended up trapped in darkness and dependency. And I believe that every single one of them, in the depth of their very being, did not want to end up like that. And yet, as a society, we continue to view addicts with a sense of stigma. That stigma surrounds them as individuals. We see them as weak. We have a tendency to shame them. They, if they had a stronger willpower, if they had a stronger sense of identity. So there's this stigma that is attached to that. But not only is it attached to the addict, but it's also attached to the topic. And that's why many individuals choose not to think about it, choose not to talk about it, and especially choose not to think or talk about it in church. Church alone is a place where individuals often feel pressure, 
pressure to be good, to come across as you got your act together. So if you're an addict or if you have someone in your family who is an addict, the tendency then is to hide it because you yourself feel shame if you were in that situation. And then finally, as a society, we have a tendency to dehumanize. That's why we started out the podcast talking about this idea of just being a number. You see, if I can make every one of those deaths just a number, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to think about the repercussions that even though I myself may not be an addict and I may not even have someone in my immediate or extended family who is an addict, every single one of those deaths does impact me. It has this ripple effect on our society. So how did we get here? How did we get in this situation that we view drugs and drug overdoses in this way? I want to share the answer to that when we come right back. The history of alcohol is directly tied to drugs. More precisely, the history of alcohol in America is directly attached to drugs. The majority of American Protestants view drugs in such a way that can be traced back to the history of alcohol. Let me explain. Let me, let me unpack that for you. There, was a, there is a psychiatrist and professor of religion and theology at the University of Durham. Think about that combination. Psychiatrist and professor of religion and theology. What a great combo. His name is Christopher Cook. Back in 2006, he wrote a book entitled Alcohol, Addiction, and Christian Ethics. Fabulous book. And in there, he talks about that at the very beginning of Christian history, at the very beginning of Christian theology, the emphasis was on moderation. So early Christians expressed a sense of caution and even condemnation against drunkenness, overindulging, taking it to the extreme, yet not against the consumption of alcohol itself. Again, moderation. In the Hebrew Bible, the Christian Old Testament, when you go back, you actually see that wine, alcohol, is referred to as a blessing. Not only that, but... So on one side, you have this idea that wine is is a blessing. It's a good thing for you. It's a sign that you're prospering, you're doing well. And yet, at the same time, they warn against drunkenness and excess drinking. Focus, moderation. When you move into the New Testament, you get the same idea. The first miracle of Jesus, 
according to the Gospel of John, is he turns water into wine. Jesus makes alcohol. Now, there are some individuals who emphasize, as Christians, abstinence, and they say, well, it really wasn't wine, it was grape juice. No, no, it was wine. And yet, so they, they have no problem Jesus making alcohol for other people. And yet, in other places in the New Testament, there is an emphasis on avoiding drunkenness. Again, moderation. So this was the predominant position of Christians for almost 2,000 years. Moderation. Alcohol, okay, but not to an excess. That shifted in the 1800s. It was during the 19th century that we saw this shift that occurred here in America. It took place during what is often called the Second Great Awakening, a sense of religious revival, a sense of religious Christian renewal. And it was during this period of time that clergy, ministers, pastors, began to preach about abstinence. They began to talk about the evils of alcohol. Well, along with that came the temperance movement, again, a movement of abstinence. And the reason why is they blamed all the, the concerns that they had about society, they blamed that on alcohol. They said that's the problem. They saw the problem being inherently within alcohol. Alcohol is evil. Alcohol is demonic. So they see individuals who are addicted to alcohol as essentially individuals who have really poor willpower. It's a disease of the will, and that is caused by the alcohol. So alcohol, is, back in the 1800s, was seen as inherently addictive and the cause of the problems of society. It doesn't matter if it's poverty, crime, moral deterioration. It's all due to alcohol. So alcohol began to be seen as inherently evil, inherently demonic. And that's how they talked about it. In the 1910s, the prohibition and preacher Billy Sunday said this to a crowd one time. Whiskey and beer are all right in their place, and their place is in hell. Alcohol was referred to as the devil's drink, the substance of which is inherently evil. So again, understand, in the 1800s, rolling into the 1900s, alcohol is seen as being the problem itself. It is inherently evil. It is demonic. You refer to it in ways that are used to describe demon possession in the Bible. So the reaction to that was the rise of Alcohol Anonymous. The adherents of AA are taught to rely on God or a higher power to overcome their addiction. But yet one of the core tenets that they espouse is absolute purity. There is to be total abstinence from 
all form of drugs and alcohol. So that had something shifted. We moved from emphasizing alcohol as being okay, but yet moderation. Alcohol and its excess, alcohol and drunkenness to be avoided because of the implications and the effect it has upon the person and those around them. And yet there was a shift that took place, and all of a sudden, alcohol became the problem. Not one's relationship to alcohol, not to how one chose to use alcohol. Alcohol itself is seen as evil. And that took, that idea took and became a part of drugs. That's why today our understanding of drugs is often incorporated into Christian language. Drugs are seen as being demonic. This demonization of drugs, what it ends up doing is it invests the a power in the substance of that drug itself, more power than the drug really has. But that's not the case. That's not true. D- drugs aren't like viruses. They're not this active agent. They are not this inert substance. Drugs do not have the ability to jump out of their container and, and jump into people's bodies. And yet that's how we talk about it, as something that in itself is not neutral, it's evil. And so when we talk about drugs, we refer to it in religious language that you find in the Old and New Testament of actually demon possession. It's something that comes into a person, and this demon, this evil spirit comes into the person and affects them. That's how we look at alcohol. And that's how we look at drugs. And the consequences of that is that it limits. It limits us to embrace the most effective treatment methods that are out there. How you view drugs impacts how you see the way that they ought to be treated as far as overcoming addictions. But the reality is, drugs, any drug, is not inherently evil. It is not. Drugs are not the direct cause of moral degradation. Rather, the reality is that the problem with drugs is not the drug itself. It's a person's relationship to that drug. If you miss that, if we as a society continue to look at drugs in that way, then we will continue to talk about drugs and having a war on drugs. But the implications also affect how we treat those who are addicted to drugs. And we'll come back and talk about that.
So imagine living in a society where we no longer refer to drugs in that way. Imagine what it would be like. Would it be a positive impact or would it have a negative impact? Personally, if we could take away this idea that drugs are inherently evil itself, I think we would understand that there are appropriate ways of treating addiction. And one of those in particular is that abstinence is seen as not being the only option. Again, the reason why we need a war on drugs is because we see drugs, the substance itself, the drug itself as our enemy. It is inherently evil. Therefore, it makes sense to prohibit it. And again, the challenge, the problem is, is that we must recognize that the primary moral concern should be the potential harm to oneself or others that excessive or habitual use of drugs might bring on. Again, notice the shift in focus. The focus isn't on the drug itself. The focus is upon the consequences, the effect of addiction upon people's relationships. The primary moral issue around drug addiction and overdose is it's not getting rid of all drugs, not abstaining from all drugs, but reducing the potential harm that they may cause. You see, our relationships to drugs, let's take, for example, opioids, fentanyl. Our use of drugs can be seen along a spectrum. And on one side, they are, can be very, very harmful. And on the other side, they can be very, very beneficial. Think about individuals who are dealing with acute pain, individuals who have pain following a, an injury, pain following a surgery. Those drugs are a lifeline. They enable someone to manage the pain as their body heals. Very beneficial. And yet on the other side, they have the possibility of becoming very addictive and very harmful, not only to the user, but to those the user is in relationship to. So again, if we can shift our view of drugs, it might enable us, especially as Christians, to be more open to the possibility of treating those who are addicted, not stigmatizing them, not shaming them, not ignoring them. Rather, we can look for productive and effective ways of helping these individuals. There's a term entitled harm reduction. And what it is, is it refers to public, it's a public health approach to addiction that encourages any positive change. Rather than teaching abstinence only, rather than making alcohol, I mean, um, any form of drugs, making it and prohibiting it, making it illegal and punishing those who do use drugs. Instead, what it focuses 
is em emphasizing the reduction of harm that drugs can have. So for example, using IV drugs with a clean needle is far less harmful than sharing needles. Harm reduction. Another form of harm reduction is reducing the risk of accidental overdose by using drugs in a supervised injection site rather than doing it out on the street. But again, the tendency is to go, no, 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 no. Drugs are bad. Drugs are wrong. Drugs are evil. So there should be no use of drugs. In Oregon, uh, I believe it's Oregon, They're, they've legalized different all drugs. There has not been a rapid rise of drug use. Over in Europe, there's countries that have legalized drugs. You can go places and use drugs. The amount of individuals who die from overdose drops because it's not about calling it evil. It's not about saying it's inherently wrong. Rather, the focus on is reducing the harm that drugs can, can affect an individual and providing assistance as they overcome their addiction. And that brings us to another advantage of seeing drugs and one's relationship to the drug as the core issue, and that is medically-assisted treatment, or what is called MAT. What MAT involves is using drugs such as methadone or buprenorphine. Back up and do that one again. Buprenorphine. Ah. <laughs> All right. Third time. Let's try it. Buprenorphine. Using these drugs to do two things. Number one, managing the craving. And number two, blocking the effects of other opioids. These two drugs have been shown to reduce overdose deaths by nearly 50%. We have to stop ignoring the problem. And for me, one of the things to think about is the problem may be how we view drugs themselves. If you see drugs as being evil, then how you react, how you treat the problem of addictions and overdoses is going to go down one path. But if you see the major issue with drugs is one's relationship to that drug and the impact that it has upon one's relationships to oneself and to others, then you will go down another path. For me, going down that second path demonstrates far more empathy and compassion upon the user. You see, the first path allows us to focus on just the drug. That's the problem. The problem is the drug. Understand that, right? That's the problem. That's my focus then. My focus is the drug. The other path, the path that sees the problem as being one's relationship to the drug, that path focuses on the individual. And if we focus on the individual, we are far more likely to deal with situations with empathy and compassion. So again, you got a problem. 
we have a problem. 200, 290 individuals today are going to die in some drug-involved form and overdose. 290. We got to stop this. We got to reduce that number. And what we've been doing isn't working. Christians and churches need to rethink how they view drugs. I hope you'll take the time to think about it. I hope you'll take this podcast and you'll share it with someone because your friends, your family, one of them may be an addict. One of them may have been impacted or is being impacted by addictions. This hits home for all of us. So I, again, I encourage you to share this podcast with other individuals. I would love to hear your stories. I would love to hear your thoughts. And you can do that by sending it to media at beatitudeschurch.org. Well, we can make the world a better place. It's not all doom and gloom. Human beings are resilient. We have the ability to make things better. So let's do it. Until next time, be safe. 